Evil to the right hand, puts her down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Lazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Liebold, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. Grateful, oh yeah, able, oh yeah, I'm stable, oh yeah, no label, oh yeah. What's going on, guys? Welcome, hockey to hell and back. Episode number 62. Of course, I'm Brady Liebold coming at you guys live from Muskoka, Ontario. Thank you for watching. If you're watching live, if you're listening after the fact, doesn't matter where you're taking this in. I'm very, very, very grateful. This episode is brought to you by a few partners, but the most important one that I want to talk about right now is True Temper Hockey. Thank you to everyone at True. Look, I got, they sent me all sorts of stuff. Officially part of the True team. Two years ago, I was behind bars. Now I'm sponsored by arguably one of the best hockey companies on earth. 
Check this out. That's right. We got the custom, true puck support, Catalyst 9X, brand new. Just hit stores. Got a few of these laying around. You guys know it's for my trip across Canada because I'm not just rollerblading. I'm rollerblading with gloves, a hockey stick. I'm doing this for the hockey community, and hopefully we can inspire some others outside of the game as hockey. I leave May 28th. 2022 in Newfoundland, kicking it off with my buddy Terry Ryan, uh, ending in my hometown of Port Coquitlam, where I have not been in about five years. The last time I was there, I was just getting out of jail and overdosing. I didn't see my family. Really excited to get back and see them. Uh, and thank you to everyone who supported me um, from day one from this podcast, or if you're a new supporter, somebody who's just taking this in a little bit, thank you. Every little bit of it means so much to me. It keeps me going on my journey, 17 months clean. I couldn't go 17 seconds without sticking a needle in my arm. If that sounds candid, yeah, because that's the way I was living my life. I have the scars to show it, you know, if you look at my arms. But that's a thing of the past. We're looking to the future. It's full of hope, and I'm just so lucky to be doing what I'm doing. So thank you to True Hockey and everyone who supported me. You know, I'm one of the lucky ones. Unfortunately, we've lost way too many in the hockey community. There's our angels right there, our puck support hockey angels. And, you know, I, I talk about them all the time. My former line mate from the American Hockey League, Mitch Fadden, passed away of a fentanyl overdose in 2017. My former coach, Quentin Van Horlick, same thing in 2015. We have multiple suicides on there. And I'm doing everything in my power to bring people together to offer the hockey community as a whole support and hope, whether it's players, doesn't matter what level you are, what sex you are, it doesn't matter. Hope for players, support for players, but not just for players, for coaches, for parents. Because if there's one thing that I've realized over this past 17 months is the hockey community is small and it's full of unbelievable people, but so many of us in that community are struggling because at the end of the day, whether you're an NHL player or, you know, a garbage man, we're all, we have that human element. We take off that gear and we're, we're players and then we're people. And, you know, I got lost through my identity and I'm sure my, my guests did a little bit as well. We're going to get into that. But as you guys know, I honor one of those angels every single episode. And tonight we're remembering Jeremy Domish, Originally from Collegeville, Pennsylvania, he played at the University of Mass Lowell. He's had stints in the East Coast Hockey League, the American Hockey League, and most predominantly over in the United Kingdom playing in the EIHL. He was 40 years old, March 3rd, 2020. We lost Jeremy to a, a tragic overdose. And we're just thinking of the Domish family and everybody that he touched, his former teammates. Uh, he'll never, ever, ever be forgotten here at Puck Support. And just while we're on the topic of puck support, everything that we do, like this is a puck support hat. It's a little bit wet because I just got out of the shower. But we remember one of those individuals. And, you know, I wear Mitch on a lot of my stuff. He was my line mate, my roommate in the American Hockey League. And that's what gets me out of bed every single morning. So thinking of all of them, and especially the Domus family, one sponsor, we're right back here with Sheldon Surrey. Thanks, guys. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play -play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leovold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. Teamissued.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. 
Thank you, Regan Bartel, one of my favorite people in the entire world, the best in the business. I absolutely love listening to my old games, him calling them. He's so passionate, an unbelievable person. And here's a quick story about Regan. When I was in rehab, I think for the fourth time, I went to Kelowna. He found out. He came and picked me up. He took me out for coffee and stuff and started bringing me to a couple church services. He was trying everything he could to help me. Fortunately, I had to go another six, seven years of addiction until I finally figured it out. But I'll never forget that, Regan. Anyways, guys, if I don't shut up, I never will. We'll see you guys in a few minutes. You know how this goes. There's no question that I absolutely love doing these podcasts, regardless of who the guest is. But tonight, I'm really excited to talk to this individual. He had one hell of a hockey career, but it's really the battle that he's had since retiring that I want to talk about tonight. And more importantly, the perseverance and resilience that it's taken to get where he's at today. Sheldon Surrey was born July 13th, 1976 in Elk Point, Alberta, but actually grew up about 30 minutes away in Fishing Lake, Alberta, a very small Métis settlement in virtually the middle of nowhere. After a short stop in Lac La Biche, Alberta, Sheldon Surrey moved to Edmonton where he idolized the Oilers, guys like Gretzky, Curry, I mean the list goes on. The dream was born. Like myself, Sheldon Surrey broke into major junior hockey in the Western Hockey League, making stops with the Tri-City Americans, the Prince George Cougars, and of course, my old team, the Kelowna Rockets. After his first full season in the WHL, Sheldon Surrey was drafted in the third round, 71st overall by the New Jersey Devils in the 1994 NHL entry draft. After three seasons with the Devils, Surrey was shipped to Montreal where he spent the better part of seven seasons. It was in Montreal that Sheldon Surrey's game took leaps and bounds. During his time in Montreal, he appeared in two NHL All-Star games in 2003-2004 and 2006-2007. In 06-07, he also led all NHL defensemen with 26 goals. While also playing for the Habs, Surrey set a Montreal Canadiens franchise record when he recorded six points in one game. One goal, five assists, beating the legend Doug Harvey's record. During the 2007 offseason, Sheldon Surrey signed with his hometown Edmonton Oilers and once again would appear in an NHL All-Star game during the 2008-2009 season. But being plagued by injuries, it was never really what he wanted or what the team expected. In fact, at one point, they even shipped him to the AHL in hopes that he would possibly even quit. And this is where the resiliency of Sheldon Surrey really started to shine. He took it upon himself to be a professional and try to help the next generation. And by the next season, he was once again a full-time NHL defenseman suiting up for the Dallas Stars. The following summer, he signed with the Anaheim Ducks, but the injuries just kept stacking up, most primarily to his wrist. He is said to have somewhere in the vicinity of about 24 surgeries over the course of his NHL career. There's so many layers to go really into the depths of his story, and I'll let him do that. But after retiring, he found himself in unfamiliar territory. After all those surgeries, he was left with an addiction to powerful opiates. Much like myself, it started to take a toll on his life. He's been very open about sharing his struggles and what it took to get where he's at today. Today, he's almost three years clean and now in a position to not just help and love himself, but help and love others as well. 
the power of addiction is really something that one can't understand until one has gone through it. It really doesn't matter what race you are, what sex you are, how much money you have. It will take you to some of the deepest and darkest places until it just can't take any more because it's taken your life. Sheldon and I are a couple of the very lucky ones who have made it out the other side. And he's been at it longer than I have. And he's somebody that has inspired me after recently hearing the depths of his story. Very grateful for his time. So without further ado, guys, let's bring him in. Probably from his summer place in Idaho, Sheldon, the Hammer, Zuray. <laughs> What's going on, buddy? What's up, bud? That's a good jam, isn't it? Oh, let it roll, baby. Let it roll. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's a good one. I, I listen to that one like all day when I'm rollerblading. I probably listen. If I'm out for four hours, I've probably got it playing like three or four times. It's in my playlist of a very short, you know, short playlist. that, And that's in there. So when you said that, I was like, yeah, let's roll with that. So thanks for doing this, man. I, I know you're uh, probably kicking back. Are you at your summer place? I am. I'm up, uh, up in Idaho, northern Idaho. Uh, you've probably been up around here. You played for the Rockets, yep. I guess. You, get, you played against the Chiefs, so I'm about an hour west of Spokane. Okay. Yeah, well, I know. How, how far are you from Bo- Boise? I played in the coast against Boise. Is that a different way? That's Yeah, Boise's all the way south, and we're all the way north, kind of by the Canadian border. So, uh, yeah, it's maybe seven hours. Yeah, it's uh, well. Let me tell you, man. I saw some, uh, some. Yeah, I saw a cribs of edition of yours uh, when you were with Montreal for the Montreal Canadiens. I'm sure it wasn't while you're playing there, but they did one. Man, what a beautiful place that you're living in. Just the, it's like you're, you're just peaceful, man. You're like the backdrop of your backyard is is incredible. Dude, it's uh, you know we're so lucky, man. I got told, and, and I hate to name drop it, but I think it's <laughs> it's it gives it. Uh, some perspective of why I came up here. But when I signed with the Oilers, Wayne Gretzky was, um, you know, he was still an ambassador for the Oilers. And, and I knew him from down in Malibu from uh, from Chris Chelios. And he said, hey, man, now that you're with the Oilers, you should move up to this place in Idaho. It's kind of in between L.A. And, and Edmonton. You'd see your family a lot and stuff. And I said, Wayne, I love you, buddy. But moving to Idaho, that does not sound like my jam right now. <laughs> and uh, it took me a couple of years to get up here, but when I get up here, uh, I, I mean, I just couldn't believe it. You know, it's uh, just nice people, beautiful lake, uh, fresh air, awesome golf course. And we have a lot of hockey guys up here now. Brett Hall was up here and Brendan Morrow and Barrett Jackman, Doug Waite, Tyler Johnson and John Cooper here right now. Wow. Um, so it's it's a great place for, for me and I think for these other guys to get away. Yeah. Um I heard it on your intro, you know, life gets busy during the season. You kind of get caught up in, in, in sometimes being able to separate yourself as a human from the player. And uh, yeah. I, I think when I, when I was playing, this was the perfect place to do it without being in Edmonton and never being able to, to not talk hockey, whether it's in a coffee shop or you take your kids to the mall. Um, someone wanted to know why you weren't producing on the power play and uh in middle of august i wasn't that wasn't i wasn't feeling that man you know we can jump right into the hockey i mean this is the thing right like this my show is it's a hockey based podcast but a lot of what i like to talk about is is just stories about 
how hockey coincides with mental health and addiction and struggles and perseverance. And um, it's not, you know, I love hockey stories. Um, feel free to share those as much or as little as you want. But, you know, I just, uh, my question for you off the top is, you know, I listened to, uh, I spent three hours and listened to you on a podcast with one of your best friends. I think his name is Cal. And, you know, I listened to the whole thing and uh, it just sort of, reinstilled to me like how much people forget that hockey players at the highest level like you were an NHL all-star everything like we still struggle like there's still things away from the rink and things at the rink that are hard to go through and the common theme through my career through people I've talked to through listening to that podcast is that you know a lot of us none of us were really comfortable sharing uh, with fellow teammates. It's a sign of weakness, right? So my question to you is like, what was your first initial, you know, feeling when you broke into the Western Hockey League? Like, were you ready for that at 17? And, and how was that adjustment for you? Oh, man, it takes me back. First, I got to start off by saying, dude, I, I listened to you on, um, on Terry Ryan's podcast. And uh, I think we both share a, a friendship with him. I started playing juniors with him back when I was 15. He was 14. Yeah. And, um, you, you know, you get so caught up in yourself when you're playing as a player. You, you, you know, Brett Myers is another one of my best friends in the world. And, you know, I went, I played at the same time when he was going through all his uh, stuff. And, I guess what I wanted to say to you was thank you for sharing your story. A, a lot of things get, I don't think it's swept under the rug, but they just get bypassed, right? You don't know what you don't know. Uh, uh, I thought addiction when I was playing or mental health was um, weakness. It was just like, hey, just suck it up. You know, it wasn't like uh, it's a disease now that, now that we've gone through it, I think. But I just wanted to share with you that this is a big honor for me. I don't do these podcasts very much. I don't think anyone wants to hear from an old broke dick hockey player, but, um, but this is important and the stuff you're doing is important. And so it's important to me to be on here. So I wanted to thank you for that. And, uh, the question now, okay, now let's get into some stories. Uh, so man, I, you know, when I played junior around the time I was going to age of junior 16, 17, I didn't even know I wanted to be a hockey player. You know, I, I thought I was going to be, I didn't like hard work back then. You know, I was a big kid and was lazy in a lot of aspects of my life. I, you know, never passed a McDonald's. I didn't drive through. And uh, it just, it just didn't seem like it was in the cards for me, you know? And so when I moved away from, from Edmonton and from the comfort of my mom's home to live with a strange family and, and make $60 a week, Every yeah. two weeks, actually, right? <laughs> yeah. um, it, I, I, and 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 I had so much structure, and I didn't like structure. You know, my parents were divorced. Just it goes back to all this stuff. And I'm it, the answer to your question is, dude, I wasn't ready because I didn't even know if I wanted to be a hockey player. I just yeah. someone believed that maybe I had potential to do that, and uh, and so off I went, um, and that just started the journey. And shortly thereafter, you're drafted in the third round and you had a, a, a great junior career, second, second team WHL All-Star one year as well. And um, 
Okay, so fast forward through your junior days. Now that you've you know played in the Western Hockey League, what was the jump like to pro for you, and and how big of a shocker? What was what was that transition like for you? Because it was a nightmare for me. I was yeah. ill like you i didn't like hard work i relied kind of on skill for as long as i could but i was a mess i was you know back then i was even in my addiction so it was really hard but um i was just in a shock like whoa these guys work really hard and i don't know if i'm i don't know if i'm cut out for this so what was that like for you when you took that next step right fuck exactly the same it was um so wow i i you know, I got by on, on just being puffed, really, you know, and doing like the dirty work. I, I seen your intro and I didn't know that much about you before I we started talking and I reached out to you. Uh, I reached out to you. So that tells you your story is a, a powerful one. Um, you know, I, I just uh, now I was like amongst all these men and now I got some freedom but more was expected of me so more discipline you know i had to have more self-discipline and that was not my strong point um and so the transition here's the absolute truth and it's that if i would have went to any other organization than new jersey with the structure the um the knowledge that lou lamarillo has and the rigid strictness that that he demands of his players i would have never made it uh, you know left to my own devices i'd rather be hanging with my buddies in the summer and never touching a weight and you know trying to be mr big um <laughs> and, and that's that's just not the way it just wasn't accepted there it just wasn't acceptable and uh so if i would have went anywhere else I, I know my path would have been a lot different and um so i'm really grateful that i went there and learned to be professional pretty quick because if you if you don't get it you don't get it right and uh yeah. so it's yeah. kind of like okay wow they signed me to a contract i'd made more money in my signing bonus than you know my parents when they seen the check they thought it was a mistake um <laughs> and so that kind of gave me a little accountability too right now my parents are like kind of proud of me that i know they were already always proud of me but um you know, they, they started believe, like uh, outwardly believing in me, I think is, yeah. is what they were yeah. doing. And so I just kind of, you know, just rode that, rode that train and man, uh, what a blessing. Well, I'd say, yeah, I mean, but you, I, I heard you talk too, and you know, you talk about like willing your way to be tough and you fought quite a bit. I mean, you're a big guy, you're a tough guy, but then I heard you talk about there was a time in your career when it's like, shit, you know, I don't want to have to go out and fight, you know, uh, the Bob Proberts of the league, the, the George Peros, like these guys, you know, they're, you know, Proby, in my opinion, was a great hockey player too, but there's some, certain guys that, you know, are just strictly uh, there to throw them and they can severely injure you. That's what they're trained to do. And so <laughs> I, I, I talk about, I talk about this with quite a few guys. I had Ryan Van Bush on and, and different guys and just the stress and anxiety of knowing that you may have to fight those guys. Like how much did that affect you? God, that, that was probably everything, right? It's like, uh, well, you sh you said it earlier in your intro too, and I talked to Brant Myers about it a lot, and, and my other friends who've had the similar role. And it's like, you know, you can't come in in the morning and have a cup of coffee, and your GM or your coach or another player, Saku Koivu, come to me and go, "Hey, how you doing today?" And me go, 
man, I'm a little scared for my life tonight. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a little anxious. Um, I'm not feeling so hot because I might get knocked out in front of 21,000 people tonight. It's always, I'm great, man. I'm great. Let's go get him tonight. Let's, you know, let's do this. Let's do that. Uh, I'm A-OK. So you, you never really, it was like always anxiety. Uh, but I noticed, and I had a little experience with, you know, uh, being productive in junior for a couple of years that I seemed to have a lot less anxiety when I just had to go out and play the game. You know, when the coach was like, hey, don't worry about, so-and-so tonight we want you on the ice or something it gave me a level of like peace it's yeah. like oh god you know um i'm not going to get my face smashed in if if you know the if i don't have to yeah and um and that gave me a level of peace so that's that's where the transition came in montreal i think it was like i got a, a different opportunity to show a different side of my um myself as a player and man i just i Dude, I, I'm not stupid. I knew that I wasn't going to be in there, you know, chucking them with uh, Bob Probert or Darren Langdon or the Reed Simpsons. It's like, you, you know, uh, come on, man. Go and, go and make an assist or kill a penalty. Yeah, but then you had one get, you, had, you know, you had 26 goals one year as a D man. Like, that's, <laughs> that's a lot of goals, man. For, for yeah. a forward, <laughs> that's a great year. For a defenseman, that's incredible. So, like, when that, when that's when you started to be able to produce like that, was that surprising to you and the organization, or or how much extra work did you really start to put into your development of your shooting? Because you had a hell of a shot. I mean, I think one time it was like 106 miles an hour recorded or something. And imagine if you had the new sticks nowadays, it'd probably be like 112. But you know, like just how much time went into that, and what was the big change there? I'm just like, it was just the opportunity, like you talked about. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, I was, it, I think in New Jersey, I did get opportunities. I think that Jacques Lemaire, uh, Larry Robinson were my coaches, Slava Fatisov, and we're talking Hall of Famers. Yeah. I think they believed in me. I just was, I was living my life. I was happy to be a professional hockey player. I, it's not that I was trying to be the next Scott Stevens or Scott Niedermeyer. I was just happy with the, you know, sixth, seventh defense role, making a salary and saying I played in the NHL. And I think I did get opportunities there to, to try to be a better player and show what they thought I could be. But it wasn't really until I went to Montreal and, and I hurt my hand and um, I had surgery and it just wouldn't heal. And the doctor said, I don't, I don't know, man, like your career could be over. And that's not what you want to hear when you just got married and had a kid and you know, you're, you're spending, uh, I was making a million, I was spending a million one. So, uh, you know, I needed that paycheck. And, um, yeah, I was just in the press box one night and I heard a couple of scouts over, overheard them talking, saying that Montreal could really use a big, tough defenseman who could really shoot the puck on the power play. And for whatever reason, I was just in the right place at the right time to hear that and something click. And so I just made a decision that, Hey, if, if no, when I heal, I, I, there wasn't really an if in there, when I have the opportunity to come back, I have to try to be a better, I have to try to be that guy. Um, because it was in there somewhere. I'd done it before juniors. And so I felt like, you know, it wasn't a, a massive ask, but you know, it's, it was, it was a massive, um, <laughs> it was a massive change in, in right here is a massive yeah. change in like, okay, dude, like if, if you want to do it, that's why the best players, you know, we talk about Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan and LeBron, these guys working so hard, Kobe. It's like, not that they're so much more talented than everybody. It's that they put in the work. They do this simple 
simple things better than anybody. And when I got um, healthy in Montreal, and they gave me that opportunity. Dude, I was out before practice. Our, our, our assistant coach uh, was such a, he knew so much. And, and him and Claude Julian had me out there. Practice would start at 10 and at 8.30, I was out there shooting pucks on the shooter tutor until my arms would fall off. And, and I hated life, right? I'm like, oh, God, this sucks. Oh, they don't like me. Why are they doing this to me? And that's the mentality you got to get over. It's like, no, man, they're, they're making me better. I'm putting in the work. So yeah. when I get an opportunity, uh, I'll be ready for it. Man, I, you know, it's funny too, because I, I think back to even junior and, and playing in minor pro and stuff and having coaches do stuff, extra stuff when practice is over, before practice. And trying. I just remember certain times trying to pull me aside. It's like group. And I'm like, I kind of just shuffle away to go play rebound yeah. or or whatever right. it's like oh, no yeah. you guys you guys got that down there but that's the that's what it takes to be great like you have to be willing to put in the work and it's interesting though when you when you kind of know that you're going to be more utilized and you're wanted more it does become easier um of course but we i want to talk mm -hmm. a little bit about your injuries too i mean we fast forward a little bit through the hockey i mean you had a hell of a career that's what everyone knows right like you're known for a hockey player and that's you know, it can be a, a good thing. It can sometimes probably be a bad thing, um, depending on the situation. Because sometimes I know, talking to other guys and even myself, which was never at the level you were at, it's like, okay, but like, I'm not just a hockey player, you know? So it, there's more to it. And trying to find out what that was, man, that was a hell of a job in itself. And I'm sure we'll get into that. But I want to talk about your wrist injury because I had a similar, I heard you talk, like I've had pins and stuff. And I almost lost, oh, I heard yeah. you about you lo almost losing your hand to infection yeah. same thing with that hand yeah. there so what what do you like what happened with the wrist was it a fight and and how many times did you break it and it was seemed like you probably would have played over a thousand games if it hadn't been for that wrist yeah um injuries are just a part of it so originally i heard it in a fight and then you know trying to come back and play and then it wouldn't heal and you, you know the mentality hey if i show them yeah. if it's a six-week injury and i come back in five weeks that means i want to play more than any other guy who's ever played if i take seven weeks it means i'm you know screwing the dog and so my mentality was always oh, i'm going to come back early because i really do want to play and i want my teammates to respect me and and i want my coaches to like me and i just never gave it a chance to heal i just wasn't i wasn't being smart with it yeah. And, um, you know, as you learn, as you go on, you get a little uh, older and more experienced. Um, you you got to be ready when your number's up. You know, you got to be ready. And and, and uh, if my trainer is going to say, hey, are you okay to play? It's pretty tough when we put the onus on players to say, oh, maybe not tonight. You look like you don't want to play, right? So whenever you get, whenever I was asked, hey, man, you ready to go? I was always ready to go. And, um, and so that I was, I was getting hurt again and this and that, that was my left hand. My right hand, I broke in Edmonton and, uh, it was in a fight with a uh, Joe McGinley and I cracked my hand. So it sounds like you had the same thing. I had some, some pins put in it and it was right before uh, Olympic breaks. So we had a couple weeks off and, uh, towards the end of those two weeks, um, I had to go back to Edmonton to see the doctor pretty routine thing. And uh, I, before I left for Edmonton in the morning, these pins were sticking out of my hand about three inches. Yeah, I had the right? same one. Yeah. And so I just stuck them back in and went like a hot knife through butter. It was like, I didn't even think anything of it. 
And I'm telling you, bud, by the time I got to Edmonton, you know, airport in Edmonton, I had to get picked up by our trainer in Edmonton. I couldn't lift my bag off the off the carousel. And that night I'm in the hospital. And but Edmonton had gone on a road trip, so I missed the doctor's appointment with a doctor I was supposed to see. I'm in the hospital. I got this staph infection. Now it's a blood infection, a MRSA in the blood and in my bone. And yeah. I wake up from surgery again, and you know, they're talking about cutting my hand off. Well, okay. So that's that's that. I'm like, okay. And um, and then I got a phone call when I was in there. No one really knew I was in there because everything happened so fast. And then I got a call in there uh, saying that, you know, the Oilers management thought I was faking an injury because I didn't want to come back and play for the Oilers. That started that started my whole thing with Edmonton. It wasn't that I was some, you know, California surfer kid who wanted to go to California and live in the sunshine and, you know, drive a convertible. Uh, it happened because they just you know there was no respect at all in the in what happened and uh and then questioning my integrity when i was you know yeah all we want to do is come back and play and so i had problems with that hand and then it just you know it, once you have you know it and guys who have injuries know it once you screw something up it's never the same right you you get a flat tire on the road and you patch it yeah tire is a little wonky if you want to <laughs> drive across the country you know what i mean and so that's that's kind of what happened. So a lot of surgeries and uh, just a lot of a lot of problems with them, um, and and that's that's what we signed up for. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's true, right? But I mean, it does. It takes a toll on you. And I'm just, you know, we'll fast fast forward a little bit into into you know your retirement and that. But I'm sure we're going to hear a little bit about it, and you can share as much or as little as you like. And you know, first off, I just thank you for for sharing your story. And I've read different articles and listened to podcasts and stuff. And it's you know, I just think by doing that, it it you can always just hope to help one person by doing mm. that. And let me tell you that you've helped me even in my recovery journey where I'm at, you know, just following your story, because of course I knew who you were, the hockey player, but I would have never guessed that. Okay. Well, when he's retired, he's, he's had this struggle. But my question is, you know, you talk about painkillers and with all these hand injuries, did you not develop any sort of addiction at all while you were playing, taking painkillers and, and what do you think attributed to it? Maybe taking more of an effect once you were retired? Um, I will say that when I played, I was always, I felt, uh, you know, my ego would make me think that I'm, you know, one of the most important players on the team. So, which is fine. It, that was my ego I had to have because I wasn't yeah. one of the best players on the team. So um, I always wanted to come back from these injuries and I was never going to let drugs or alcohol get in them. My dad was an alcoholic. I've been around it my whole life. I mean, I don't have to tell you, we all have the same kind of blueprint to this thing. Yeah. And um, so that was never going to affect my life. So, but what I was doing is I had so many injuries. The last two, three years of my career, I was taking a Toradol shot before every game. Yeah. And then, you know, that, that kind of wasn't enough towards the end. And um, I would take painkillers, but it wasn't something that I was thinking about in my head like, wow, this is getting dangerous. I wasn't quite there yet. I will tell you a funny story, though. The last, uh, I haven't told this one yet. It made me laugh the other day. The, so uh, my last surgery that I got in 2013, you know, I, I knew it was the final surgery I was going in for on this hand. My career, it was a career-ending surgery, maybe not the final, but it was a career-ender. 
And uh, I'm getting prepped in the morning for surgery and uh, the anesthesiologist, the anesthesiologist comes in and, Hey, we're going to, you know, calm you down and then we'll do this. And I, I said to him, Hey bud, uh, make it last for like three or four seconds, a uh, three or four seconds. You know how we have a surgery you're out in like a second, you know, this yeah. count backwards from, from a hundred and you're like 99. Yeah. I'm like, make it last for three or four seconds. He's like, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. Right. It was like one second when I got in there, but already my, my uh, mentality, I think back then was like, wow, this is making me feel good, you know? Yeah. And dude, then once I retired, um, I had an excuse. I had no responsibility. I had no accountability. I didn't have to look anybody in the eyes. And I was getting paid for two more years. It was a perfect storm, I think, of, uh, of those things. And the fact that I, I liked them, I was abusing them, you know? I, I liked the way it made me feel. It, it didn't make me think about hockey or losing my career or anything else that life was throwing at me. It was just like, you know, I, I got to escape for the time, for the time that I did un, until I wasn't escaping. It was freaking jail, you know, you know, yeah. But, yeah. yeah, it is. It's a form. It is a form of jail. I've, I've been in both. Trust me. It's uh, mm. I'd almost rather be in jail behind bars than to be in the, the depths of addiction that I was in run my life by, by drugs. And, um, you know, a lot of people, and I've shared this many times on this show, I think the vast majority of people, when they hear painkillers, you know, like oxys or whatever it is, they think of physical painkillers. But what people, a lot of people I'm surprised to know, and I guess I didn't really know until I went through it was, but they're also emotional painkillers. They do a they they do like they they kill your emotional pain and like when it gets to a certain point, it starts to take a toll on your life. It destroys you know different facets of our lives. You know me, you, so many others. But there is a reward to it. Like you said, you like the way it made you feel because there was that reward. And you know sooner than later, that reward starts to be greatly outweighed by the things you lose. And so. When would you say you started like really noticing you had a problem with these? Um, so I guess after my last surgery, um, so that's 2000, I think we're talking now 2013, January. Um, I remember getting a phone call from from someone or a text or something and he was saying hey how you feeling I said, you know oh man I'm, I'm not doing great or whatever it's like hey you know i know where we can get some buy some painkillers and uh, i said okay and he said you know if we buy a lot of them we'll get a better deal and uh, i said okay and uh, he said well we can get x amount and i said okay give me a hundred and those will last me until like next year, right? And in two days, I was calling the guy back. Mm -hmm. And so that was about, that was a few months after my my surgery. I mean, I but I was getting my script refilled. I mean, I, you know, again, it was like I hadn't even developed that addict. I had, but not aware of it, right? Um, yeah. So once I started buying them off the street, that's that was like I knew it was wrong. Um, as you know, and bro, I, I keep coming back to like, man, thank you for sharing your story. You know, uh, you've helped me. 
And it's it's a funny thing how this how this all works, but um, I knew it was wrong. Uh, I knew I didn't want to do it forever. I just wanted to, you know, kind of hang in my little groove. I never got to heroin because I was too chicken shit. I knew I'd like it too much. Um, and I could afford doing the painkillers at the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's probably yeah. the big thing. That was and, why, um, that was why I switched. Right. Was the, exactly. yeah, the money, right? The so. cost. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I know, uh, that if I was in a, a more desperate situation when I was in my addiction, if I didn't have, I, I would have, your story would be mine. Right. Um, but anyways, all that to say that, uh, you know, I, I just, I, my mentality then to, and, and I'm sure you can relate to this. My mentality was I'll quit when I want, mm -hmm. I'll just quit when I want, when I'm, you know, if, if someone calls me out on it or someone sees that I'm slipping in life somewhere, I'll just quit. I've always had willpower. I've always, you know, that, that's, I, I feel like I'm the, I could do whatever I want. Yeah. And, uh, so that's, that's what I thought. And fuck man, I, I've never been more wrong about anything in my life. Yeah. It's a, isn't it a, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty crazy feeling. And, you know, I'll just tell you quickly, like when I, so I was, you know, doing oxys was my thing for, for a couple of years anyways, or a year and a half, two years. And, you know, eventually my script gets cut off and I'm, you know, same thing going to the street and this guy that I would go get them from, you know, same thing, getting larger amounts, whatever. He was always, he always had heroin and he would be like, Hey, just try it. Try it. I'm like, no, like, fuck off, man. Like I'm never, mm. I will never do that. Like I, right. it's different than this. And, and then one day, you know, I couldn't find it. I was so sick. I was in withdrawal and yeah. he's like, it's going to be like probably till tomorrow morning till I get more. And he's like, well here. And I was like, give it like, if someone would have said, eat this piece of dog shit, I would have been taking yeah. it because I was that sick. Like that's yeah. the reality. And from that moment on, I think I maybe did two pills where I was doing, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15, like big pills a day. And then all of a sudden it was like, that was no part of my life anymore. And now I was in this whole other world that I thought only existed on movies. And I didn't realize it was happening in my backyard. And, mm -hmm. and I got intertwined in that for the next eight years, which led me to homelessness and jail and all the crazy things that I've done. And that's the, that's what happens in this addiction life. Um, and you know, I'm just, I'm grateful to be out of it. I'm grateful that you're out of it. Um, what about that first time when you tried to stop when you were like, Hey, or, you know, what, what was that like? Like, cause I remember the overwhelming sensation. I was in Holland where I signed with a team and I was like, okay, I'd never gotten off the oxys before. And I was like, okay, well I'm going to go over there and uh, I'll take, I was taking, I was like, I told you, I was taking a lot of day. I took like maybe one day's worth. And I was like, I'll spread these out over a week. I'll be all right. Right, right. Eight hours, they're gone, and it was 21 days of no sleep, absolute hell, till I finally gave in and quit. And it was in that moment I was like, wow, this stuff mm -hmm. is – There's, I can't even believe there's something like this on this planet that can mm -hmm. do this to my body. So I don't want to trigger you or go back there with anything. No, it's not where you're at, But no, what was that experience like for you when you first realized that, holy shit, I'm going to have to go through this, and this is going to be this – is, this is not easy. Yeah, dude, it, it, nothing's triggering. It's actually healing to remember where I was, right? It's uh, because what you just said, I did that 10 times, 12 times. I tried not to do it too much because, dude, I'd get anxious if I, if I was flying somewhere and I only had yeah. 200 on me. Yeah. I would be like, 
I would yeah. be freaking out like, oh my God, how, you know, I got to, maybe I only take 10 this time and then 15 on this one. Dude, it, it was like, all I could think about in my addiction was using. I didn't yeah. care about like my relationship, my parents. Uh, the one thing that was always a, a, a spark in my eye was my kids. I never wanted them to see me, you know, yeah. doing pills or anything like that. Um, but bro, th those days of um i was driving i'll tell you my first detox i was driving and um i was just like i'm gonna get off these things right but i don't but i it was probably like two three maybe two or three months after my surgery and this scripts and i go i'm just gonna i'm gonna get off them right and so i didn't take them for call it a half a day right i didn't take them that i went to bed that night and i wake up in the morning at four o'clock that afternoon, I'm driving in traffic and it's a summer day or spring day. And I'm sweat. I think I got food poisoning, right? <laughs> I'm like, I, I am like violently sweating, shaking. I'm like puking in my truck on the side of the highway. And, uh, and all I could think about was getting home and taking the pills. And, and I did that and it was like, just going home and thinking of taking the pills made me feel better like yeah. that's how sick you know and then it just got worse so that was my first thing and then you know I, i'd get called out on it and okay i'm gonna quit and then a day or two of like just hell not even two days a day it was and so a few of those and um even the first rehab i went to i don't know if you can relate to it I just wanted to get clean. I, I wasn't thinking yeah. so far ahead in the future that like I was never going to use again. Uh, I still left the door open. What if I have a bad knee? What if my shoulder? What if? And so, but I just wanted to get clean. I, I wanted to get the heat off me. Uh, I wanted to feel better because I felt so bad. And, um, you know, so, so that was my first treatment. And, um, you know, I came out of there again, once I got clean, once I got off the, the, the sauce, I guess, off the pills, um, I left rehab three or four days early because I didn't think the world could re revolve without me being in it out there, my kids, my family. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so I'm like, oh, I got it. I, I, I remember the doctors coming in and going, dude, it's, you got three more days. I'm like, I got it. I got it. You know, that was my famous line. I got it. And, um, Man, I, I was, and I stayed clean for a few months, but it was always, it's all I could think about when I wasn't clean, you know, but I wasn't doing any of the work. It's like, hey, man, I want to have the hardest left shot in the league, but never going out and shoot pucks. Just, I just yeah. want it to happen. And that's how my recovery first kind of go around. I was, I, I didn't do any of the work. I was just like, I got this. And, um, and that was another hard reminder, right? That was a kick in the balls. Uh, when I was in treatment again, I'm like, wait, what, how did this <laughs> yeah happened again yeah how, how happened because uh, i swore this wasn't going to happen I, I you know looking around and seeing all the other people sick and i'm like what am i doing in here like you know and uh and that's just where i was and uh man so talking about it's definitely i'm so grateful i heard you say it a couple times already on uh, well in our chat dude i'm so grateful for my life you know and i'm not talking about you know, people, it's easy to see people go, oh, they have money or they have a, you know, uh, a nice car or a house to live in. How could they not be grateful? It's like, I didn't give a shit about any of it. I, I just didn't care about any of it. I cared about self 
and how I felt and what people were doing to me. And, um, man, I, I'm just, this part of my life, uh, this last year of my life in particular has been the best year of my life and I haven't made money. Uh, you know, I haven't, I don't have all these, uh, extravagant things that I used to think were important. I have a, a sober fiance. Uh, I have kids that I love. My relationship's not perfect with them, but I love them more than anything. My mom calls me and says she's proud of me instead of looking at me going, man, what's, what's up, you know? And for, it's a little emasculating for a guy like me to be, you know, 40 years old and your mom to look at you being the pride of fishing lake for all the role model for all these kids for, for so long. And, uh, and to look at me and say, Hey man, you need to get some help. That was, that was my lowest, you know? Um, and now she's, she calls me and she says, Hey, what's up? You know? And, yeah. uh, it, it's a gift. I mean, it's so corny. I, I heard you say it at the beginning of this too. And I talked to my buddy Brad about this all the time, like all these little sayings, uh, one day at a time or be grateful or, you know, these, these things that just in one year, I never even knew what that meant. Um, and it took a, uh, it, it took a, a hard fall to, uh, to really be, to live in gratitude for the things that I do have, not what my friends have. And, yeah, uh, man, I, it's so corny, but I like to say it because like you said at the beginning of this, someone somewhere might be listening and go, oh, I feel like that. Or gone to rehab twice and, and still not gotten it and feel embarrassed. And so they're not going to reach out for help. It's like, man, here we are. You're, 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 you're a miracle, bro. From, from this, what I know about you and your story, it's like, I went to treatment with a lot of people who, who went to treatment to get clean and aren't with us today off yeah. heroin. It's, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm sure, you know, a lot of people who are like that and, yeah. uh, you're a miracle and, and so am I, and, and we have this gift and it's, uh, it's been given to us to, to have a second chance to talk about this. And I don't, I don't mean to sound preachy. I'm like, Oh my God, I sound like that. But I, I'm just, I am super grateful for, uh, for my life today. Well, that's great. Right. And, um, just to quickly touch on it, how many times, um, did you go to treatment? And I've heard you talk about how great the NHLPA is. And I know there's, you know, others that will agree, others that will disagree, but we're talking about your solely your experience and, you know, my dealings with them over the past uh, six months, I've had a meeting with them regarding what I'm doing and they've all been so great to me. And the, I know you dealt with the doctors and stuff. Uh, but my buddy, Darren McCarty also says how, how much they helped him and stuff. Um, how many times did you go? What was that experience like for you? And where do you think you would be if you weren't, you know, um, uh, a solidified NHL guy, let's say, you know, you were in the American league and you didn't have the support of the NHLPA. What would that look like? What would, you know, those are three questions in there and uh, I don't know how you want to answer them, but those, that's what I'm firing at you right now. Mm, I'd probably be dead. Um, that's, that's what I think without having, the help because I was so broken that it wasn't like I was going to go, I, dude, fuck. I had, I didn't know where to start. I just wanted to quit. I, I, you know, I just, and, uh, man, I, I, again, I'm lucky. I got that lifeline with the doctors. Um, they would come and give us a speech every year, you know, kind of do their, their little presentation. And I always respected them a lot. You know, I got my chance in the NHL because Ken Danico went to, went to treatment. And so I got called up from Albany. Uh, so ironically, right. That was my, that was my break. And, um, 
So I'd always kind of listened intently when they'd come around and always respected the doctors and everything. But, you know, I'd get their card with a number on it and I'd throw it in the garbage, like pretty much everybody else, because man, I'll, I'll never need that. It's just, you know, yeah, more garbage. Um, but, uh, so I went twice and, uh, the first time I was just, uh, basically I got caught, you know, in my relationship, I got caught, I was lying about it and, and got caught with a bunch of pills and I said, okay, okay, I'll go to treatment. And that was kind of my first thing. I'll call the doctors and, uh, they said, okay. And, and off I went and it wasn't really that, it wasn't really that big of a process, you know, they, I wasn't the first guy to kind of enter the program. And, um, the second time though, man, that was the hard time for me because I felt like I failed at sobriety. You know, I felt like I, I would call them and I, the NHL doctors and I'd tell them, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for getting me clean. And, uh, you know, I just, and I was screwed up again. Like, I just can't get this. I'm an idiot. And the, so the second time was a little bit harder because they're, there, there wasn't anyone to really be around me to say, Hey man, you're, you're having like, well, everyone was saying, dude, what's up, you know, what's up with your life. But there was no one to like, say, dude, you're doing this. You know, I wasn't in a relationship that I had to be accountable to. I wasn't going to lose anything if I kept, kept on going, I guess. And so, um, the second time that I called them was that, that was a hard one kicking up the phone. And, um, Man, they were like, dude, we're, we got in. I said, okay, but I can't go. This was like on a Monday. <laughs> and um, I said, but I can't go till Sunday because I got some stuff to do. Right? Yeah. And they kind of laughed. <laughs> the doctors, yeah, the doctor said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we got it. And uh, he called me back later that day. He said, your plane's leaving at 9 a.m. tomorrow. I'm like, whoa, whoa, you know what? I don't know if I'm ready for all that, you know, right now. And uh, they said, be on that plane. And, uh, and I was. And, you know, man, I, I don't know what your story is. My story is that uh, I, I like to learn hard lessons, I guess. Um, yeah. And, but I completely was surrendered the second time. I was just like, I cannot live like my life is, you know, I can't live like this. goes back to like looking around, you know, rehab it, you know, uh, in a room with three other guys, leave my house in Malibu to go to a rehab with a room with three other guys, you know, um, puking and, and sick for three days because they're withdrawing so badly. And I just knew, man, at that time, it was like, uh, I'm so lucky to be in here. And I don't, I, I don't know what your story is, but I can honestly tell you, I looked around and go, I don't know why I'm getting this chance. I don't know why, like, and I don't know why I'm feeling like I'm ready to quit because that was never my experience. I couldn't go an hour without yeah. doing something. I couldn't go yeah. an hour. Yeah. And so the thought of like quitting, uh, had never really occurred to me so strong. So I don't know if that answered your question, but I, I owe a lot to the doc and, uh, to the program. You know, a lot of guys don't get that opportunity. And, um, you know, I, I'm again, we, we use grateful all the time, but, Man, what, what else? What else could you be? What else could you possibly be to someone who saved your life? Yeah, I know. I'm. It's my most overused word, one hundred percent. But I just, I don't have another word. And that, you know, when you've lived, you know, in the life that you know I've lived, that you've lived, and and made made it through the other side, and have a different kind of perspective to be able to reflect back and go, wow, like 
things were really bad. And there's, you know, I've heard you tell different stories, uh, you know, and you can share or not, but just about, you know, being uh, admitted to the hospital because your withdrawals were so bad and, and going through some, some different things. Like I can't tell you how many times I was in psychosis, whether it be on the street, in a hospital, um, doing, and just, just crazy. And then the amount of overdoses and the amount of stuff I was putting into my system, it was, was trying to literally just hopefully not wake up one day because I didn't know how to stop. And when you get through it, there really is no other word than to, than lucky, than grateful. And that's why I felt so called upon to kind of just start to share my story in hopes of inspiring just one person. And I think by listening to you, you know, it took you a couple times, took me, I think I went to rehab like six or seven times. Um, this time I didn't actually go to rehab. I went to a place called jail. Um, you want to talk about, talk about a place that sucks. Um, you know, quick rehab. Right. And, and I'll tell you, I went for two years and it didn't change anything within, within, within 45 minutes of being released from jail. Um, after two years, I was downtown Vancouver on Hastings again. I got sucked right down there, overdosed and came back and I was overdosed again. Um, and so, you know, I moved out to Ontario and luckily, you know, I ended up in jail here again because I was doing the same stuff. But for whatever reason, it kind of just clicked. And, and you talk about that where, you know, you just start to realize, you know, that this this has to be it because this is playing with death. Like it's, you know, I've lost friends and, and teammates and people outside of hockey. And it, it's literally taking that chance. And with the amount that you start to do because your tolerance goes up, but your body can only handle so much like, you know, it just, so I just, I just hope that people can hear like just not to give up on themselves. What would be your biggest, mm -hmm. you know, it, piece of advice for somebody that may be going through an addiction like this? Um, man, uh, you know what I think is, um, when, whatever your story is or my story or, you know, uh, Brant Meyer's story or my fiance's story, I think we all think we're so unique that no one's going to understand, you know, what I've been through, whether it's abuse, uh, uh, loss, you know, uh, whatever, whatever it is, it's like, sometimes we think that no one's going to understand. And when I got into recovery and started going to meetings and, and really listening, my story is like so ununique, you know, it's yeah. so, so ununique. It, it's, it's like everybody understands when I started telling my story and, and like, you know, thinking I was doing crazy amounts and all this guys were just looking at me like, okay. And I'm like, no, I don't think you heard me. I, you know, oh yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. No, I have two guys like that who did that. And I'm like, oh shit. So I, I, I think it's so hard to reach out for help. Right. I don't know. Yeah. In my situation was, uh, I, I had this, I really wanted to maintain this, uh, appearance that I had it all together and, you know, I, I, I just, I got it. And I think it's okay. It's not, it's not okay. It's probably the most courageous thing you can do is reach out and ask for help. And I think a lot of people, are, and again, 
your story is yours, but I think a lot of people would be very surprised to find how much love comes at you when you think there's going to be judgment. You yeah. think there's going to be people who are like, I told you so. Uh, hey, man, just get, you know, get your shit together. It's amazing the love I got back and the support from people that I thought was like, I'd really let down. You know, I'd really messed up. And the doctors, NHL doctors are just one small example. Oh, man, I, I, I let these guys down. They're like, hey, dude, come on. We, you know, if you're ready, we got you. Don't worry about your family. We'll take care. It's, um, it's hard, man. It's hard, to, it's, hard to, it's hard to quit. It's hard to quit smoking. It's, you know, hard to quit a relationship that you're not happy in. So there's some things, you know, you're going to have to deal with. But uh, I, I just hope that anybody who who just is embarrassed or ashamed of what they're going through or, or how it's gotten to a certain point in their lives, like I was, that they could just reach out for help. And I don't know if you get it. My, my greatest parts of my day now, and it's crazy to even think about it, is I'll open up an Instagram or Twitter message and it's going to be someone who's like, hey, I heard your story. I'm going through something similar. And, uh, dude, I played golf the other day. Here's, a, here's, a, here's the gift, right? I played golf the other day and my caddy hops in the, uh, in the cart and we start talking and, oh, man, I feel like I'm going to get emotional. He says, hey, uh, I got 21 months. And I said, oh, dude, it's fucking awesome. He goes, I reached out to you um, in the new year a couple years ago. And he returned my message. I was like, oh, wow. Like, what a, what a, that's a God shot for me. Like, there's yeah. somebody who, you know, was hurting, doesn't know me from Adam, and uh, reached out, and his life has gotten better. And, I'm sure you get the same thing, right? It's like there's it's the best part of my life is I get to wake up next to someone who's sober, who um who cares, who supports me, who loves me through this. And uh and, and there's people who 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 fight that battle who who want to get better and that's the gift. And that's why coming on here for me is a an honor. I love your story and 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 the way you tell it. And I think it's important also for me to be transparent. Um, you know, it's not all glamorous, dude. This recovery is not all glamorous and sitting yeah. there and you got your whole, your whole life's back and your parents love you. It's, it's, it's work. It's work. And, uh, God, man, the, 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 the work is worth it though. And that, and it's not as you get going, right. You got a, a, a over or a year and a half now coming up on and it's like, it gets easier, right? It's, it's like training. It's like practice. Yeah. Every every practice, you're going to get closer to being a better player. And, um, you know, that's, but those are the best parts of my day, man, is like people who reach out and are like, hey, what do you, what do you think? Go to a meeting. <laughs> yeah. Just quit, just quit today. I, I know what sounds stupid. Quit for, you know, it might, it sounds like we had a, a lot of the same things, dude. When I got, into recovery it was like it was minute to minute I'm, that's not a lie it was like every minute i'm like oh my god oh my god oh my god okay there's five minutes gone oh my god oh my god yeah. right yeah. and then it became an hour and it became a day and then i started not to think about it and then i started to feel better it's just it's it's like it really is a miracle um 
it feels like yeah, it's I mean, not going to happen though when you're in it, right? And those minutes oh. at the beginning can sometimes feel like years, like especially when you're really in it and withdrawing. It's like, man, you figure like, yo, it's going to be a week. You're going to be feeling like this, so you're just hoping to get through that week. But it's like every second is just brutal. But it does get better. Exactly. It does get better. You just have to give yourself a chance. And I love what you yeah. said too. Like, I listen. I get. Uh, quite a few people reaching out to me and I, I love it too. I absolutely love it. But I love what you said by like, go to a meeting, like it, just my experience. I have, um, you know, I have a couple of people close to me that are really trying to get sober and I'm on, on their team 100%. And actually one of them's watching. I'll just throw up this comment quick. Jesse Tucker says, if I didn't reach out or I've met Brady, I don't know where I'd be reaching out is huge. And Jesse is very open about his struggles, still struggling, but he's, you know, he, He's trying his best and it's hard, but I, I think a lot of people, um, they want to talk to me when they're, when they're using or when they're drunk. And it's like, call me when you're sober, you know, call, call me when you get a day or three days or a week, like, you know, because I know that that's the hardest time to reach out is when you're sober. You don't, you know, cause when I was sober, it was like, how am I going to get my next fix? I wasn't thinking about help. I was like, how am I going to just fix feeling like this right no. now? And until I found that I could reach out in my most vulnerable times and needing times and nothing was going to change. Um, but Jess, man, I'm proud of you. Keep up the good fight. Uh, I just want to get to a couple comments. I, you probably got lots going on tonight. I don't want to keep you too long, but um, Tom and Michelle Minor are watching. Their son. No, we're good, buddy. Tom and Michelle's son uh, recently, he played for the Barry Colts in the OHL recently. Um, he played back uh, just in the late 2000s or mid 2000s uh just recently we lost him to an overdose um he's actually right here they're watching they actually came up here just to they had some time off and they drove and got a hotel just to come spend some time and chat with me to try you know try to connect and it was such an awesome time but they're watching and they said from a parent perspective that is exactly how we think why can't you just quit unfortunately we have learned it is not that easy i'm thinking of you guys and um you know i'm li really looking forward to get getting down to uh dunville and seeing you guys and your support means so much um dean smeal um watching says hey fellas sheldon you absolutely know how much i respect you you will always be a lakeland hero buddy i miss your dad him and i sometimes had some great conversations i remember the last conversation with him i honestly didn't get what he meant by it but he told me to slow down now i know what he meant because i fell to that deep end of the pool of booze sheldon i am proud of you buddy that's um, our friend dean smeal yeah. yeah stan's brother Dean has become uh, Dean has oh, become really? a great, 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 great friend of mine in the past few months. And Dean, uh, thank you for support. Thank you for sharing that story. Um, we've got a couple more. I just want to just want to get to uh, Matthew Means. They're walking all the way in our south of Argentina. Says I really appreciate you sharing, Sheldon. Uh, Michelle is saying the more people like you two telling your stories will help both reach out for help thank you for sharing uh, my friend Stuart says listening to the two of you chat is incredible powerful words of hope thank you um, and uh, Brett Goff a kid I used to coach um, shout out to you Brett I've not talked to you in years when I was coaching him I was in the, the pits of my addiction trying to hide it so I hope you're doing well Brett he says how do you reach out to talk to someone if you're having problems and are embarrassed do you want to take that or what, what's your thought on that? 
it's just it's just what we said dude you know what you do is you pick up the phone and you say hey i'm having problems and i'm yeah. embarrassed yeah yeah there you and go right brett you can call you know me what you're gonna say or i'm gonna say all right dude what are we gonna do that's right what are we gonna do about it you know and 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 then like I said, it's a, it's amazing where you find the support, where you think there's going to be judgment and I told you so and uh, you know, this and that man, soft landings, you know, and that's a, that's a big A saying, and you know, it, um, it's soft landings. There's no, there's no judge. How can I be in a position to judge her or, you know, uh, I, I'm a guy who, who had to go to rehab and I'm a dad and my mom was, you know, embarrassed, um, by the way I was living, it's like, how can I judge anybody else? And the, the hardest thing I ever did, I swear to God, I think it was the hardest thing I have ever done was to pick up the phone the second time when I meant it, when I wanted to quit, not, not the time where I wanted to get the heat off the time that I wanted to quit picking up the phone and going, Hey, I, I, I need some help here. I'm, I'm slipping. And, uh, it turns out to be the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life and i love what you said brady it's so temporary god i i remember being in my withdrawals and thinking i'm going to feel like this forever i remember getting out of my psychosis and thinking oh my god i was just in that for it felt like forever and physically like sweating just oh my god all the things that i'm like my life is good I'm never going to have fun playing golf again. I can never go to another party. Uh, all this bullshit I was telling myself, it's, it was so temporary. And my life is so much better. And, you know, I get it. I'm in a community um, that's known for having fun. It's summertime, you know, camp for, for adults too, not just kids. Yeah. And the biggest badge of honor and and the reason why I love your story and what you said, and I think we can all share this. I know Brant's the same way. It's such a huge badge of honor to be sober. Yeah. Uh, and and it's like you said, I get people coming up all the time. Oh man, you know, I'm going to talk to you tomorrow. I, I, I'm drinking too much. Okay, great. You know where to find me. Right. And if you don't come, it's your life. I don't, I really don't care what you do with your life unless you want to get sober. That's and right. then I'm all in with you. Then I'm all in. Let's. I'll tell you what I did. I'll tell you what my sponsor did. I'll tell you what my best friends have done. And my car will be started if you want to go to a meeting. But if you don't want to quit, it's cool, man. It's it's good. That's your. <laughs> if you don't want to quit, your your life is your life. I'm I'm not judging you. If you want to quit, we have ten guys who are going to pick you up. And we're going to do this. Yeah. Yeah, that it comes back to the wording of that. If you want to quit, it has to be for you or ourselves. You know, I can't tell you how many times I went to rehab for my kids, try to resurrect my hockey career or whatever, but it yeah. wasn't it was it wasn't until I was actually doing it for me because hey, I want to live and I want to live a quality life and I want to be a productive member of society and contribute and be just a good like a good dad secondary to just being okay because if i wasn't okay if i'm not okay i can't be a good dad or a hockey player or anything so i had to filter through all those reasons to just be like i'm doing this for me and it's not selfish it's because i i want to be 
better in all these other areas of my life. And um, yeah, Brett also had a question too. And, you know, and he's asking, you know, is it hard to see friends drinking around you guys? Like, or is it hard for you to be around people who are partying? Like, what's that experience been like for you? Absolutely not. It's no one else's problem. Yeah. My dad, when, when I got drafted, my dad quit drinking. It was May 1st. Yeah. He was sober for yeah. about 21 years. And uh, he said, if you're going to play in the NHL, you don't need a drunk dad around. And so I had another drink, you know, and he'd been to Native Sweats and this workshop and that workshop and, you know, a little different when he got sober back in early 90s. I don't know if they're really rehabs that he could go to necessarily, but um, first year in the NHL, my dad came with me to every team party. I mean, my first couple of years in the NHL, I didn't miss a thing. I was in New York City every, you know, couple of nights, every Saturday. I was at going to parties, premieres. I always took my dad with me and uh, sober as a judge. As a matter of fact, he was our driver. And uh, I remember Lyle Lodeline, he told me one time, uh, we were having a, a couple of fun nights and he goes, dude, you have the best dad in the world. He can drive sober. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's pretty cool. So I, I thought that this was such a hard thing for him, right, to be around it. And I said, dad, if you don't want me to drink when you're around, I, like, he said, do your thing, man. And that's how I feel. My, my problem isn't, isn't someone else's problem. Oh, you shouldn't feel uncomfortable with me. You know, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, there's no job. I'm not looking at you like counting drinks. I, fuck, do your thing. Everyone do your thing. We're, we're all, I worry about me. Yeah. And if I'm in a situation that I'm like, oh, guys are getting, it's starting to get a little hairy or I, I'm starting to feel a little uncomfortable, I leave. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really easy. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, man, it's, it's no one else's this is a me thing um and how i feel and i i would i would be really uh i would be really disappointed if someone else's fun time was being ruined by them thinking that you know they have to be careful around me hey man i've no How are you enjoying golf? Like, are you, you mentioned like, Oh, I'm not going to be able to have fun golfing anymore. I'm not, what's that been like? It's been the best. It, it's, yeah. it's really been the best. The first couple times that I played golf and, you know, I, I used to love taking a couple pills in the morning. You know, I don't, so I, I guess, uh, I, I like, I like, I like how I just had things in a kind of a nice little, uh, routine i didn't drink too much because i didn't want it to ruin my opiate buzz yeah i was the same uh, yeah <laughs> same but a lot of people have you know if they're doing other if they're doing cocaine or something then they want to drink a lot yeah so then they have that mine was like i just really liked just feeling loose right yeah. and uh, um and i used to do in the morning used to be kind of my favorite time to do that and uh and go play some golf or whatever and i thought i was I thought I was just loose and I was being, you know, uh, what do they say? You, you play, you know, I hear it a lot. Oh, if I have a couple beers, I play golf better, or, you know, play this better. Um, dude, my, my life now is I love the game. So much. I've gotten so much better at it. Uh, more people lay with me, <laughs> uh, more people want to hear this story, right? It's like, uh, I, I, I just, 
it's just, it's so hard to explain to somebody because I know how I felt when I was in my addiction. I, I know I, I just, there's no possible way that I can feel better than, than the pills made me feel at a certain point. At, like yeah. at one time, the pills made me feel, there's no better thing than that. And um, man, my life has just gotten, it's just so much fuller. Um, yeah. I'm so much prouder of myself, you know. You, you're a little younger than me, but like, I, you know, I just had a birthday a few days yeah, ago. The thirteenth, and I'm kind of on on second base. Uh, come on, baby, um, forty five years old. You know, look at and you, man. A lot of people look didn't, at you. Though. A lot of people didn't think I'd make forty five. You know, and so it's like I have a whole lifetime ahead of me. Yeah. And uh, I was just so narrow minded when I was in my addiction, and and I'm, what I was going to say there though is. I'm so proud of my life right now. I'm proud of myself. Like I go to bed at night, put my head on the pillow. I'm, I'm grateful. There's the word again. I'm grateful. Thank you for a day. Thank you. Uh, when I wake up, it's like, thank you for letting me wake up this morning. There's, there was times I'd take a bunch of pills before bed and I didn't care if I woke up. I just, I didn't want to kill myself because I'm too big a pussy, but I didn't care if I woke up. It was okay. It was, it was that bad for me. And, um, hockey, I guess having my kids would probably be the other proudest moments of my life that, that yeah. doesn't involve me. Um, but as far as like, if I look at my, I put, you know, a big scrapbook board on vision board on my wall, the day that I stopped using my sobriety day is the most important thing that I can look at and go, I've accomplished something. You know, you, we, we rattle off all these stats that you said at the beginning of the points and this and goals. My sobriety day and my dad used to, it was May 1st. Obviously, I'll never forget it, his, his sobriety day. I mean, he used to be so proud. And I didn't really get it. I'm like, yeah, but your birthday is December 22nd. Why Why is, you know, May 1st, your, why are you so, I get it. And um, he when he passed away, I got, my addiction got worse. And I've never been able to share this with them, right? Being sober and, and having a conversation like this, but man, there's uh, I know he's proud of my life. He was Absolutely. proud of me as a, as a hockey player, right? He was proud of me as, as, as his son being a, an NHL player, but I know that for him, this is like, you know, good for you. That's awesome. And, yeah. and there's no doubt in my mind um, that, He's doesn't. Yeah, man. Like I, I'm proud of you and your dad would be absolutely over the moon that, you know, you are where you're at, man. And, uh, it looks good on you, man. You'd never know that you, you, you know, you abused your body the way that you did. You look fantastic. You don't look at, you look like you could still play. Do you get on the ice at all anymore? Do you play hockey anymore? And do you have any vision of ever being involved in the game again? Like, are you involved in hockey at any facet? No. I don't skate. I skated a couple years ago. Um, I hadn't skated in about a year, and I skated a couple years ago. So we had some NHL guys here with Tyler Johnson, Bobby Ryan, Derek Ryan from the Flames. So three or four or five, six guys who were yeah. ready to go back to camp. So I put on the equipment and I went out there and you know an extra body and and show them what a real NHL defenseman was like. Dude, these guys used me like uh, they might as well use the pile <laughs> pylon out there. I'm like, this is so embarrassing. 
And so no more skating, but um, I just recently in the last like year got back into watching hockey. Yeah. Uh, living in Vegas now. And, you know, a couple of the guys on the nights that I know and uh, play golf with. And um, so I've just recently kind of got back into it. It's kind of like watching, you know, if I was a mechanic, watching another mechanic fix a car. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. It's yeah. so it's so yeah. easy to like be critical and oh when I yeah. played and all that uh, all that jazz so, um, but I but I love it it was a part of me right um, but I have no no uh, I I don't fool myself thinking that putting on the skate because I know I'd go put on the skates and think that I could you know, <laughs> man I could probably play again and I'll go hurt myself again so <laughs> forget it what about, what about coaching or something like that and before you answer that let me get to I, there's one question I need to ask you and it's coming there my buddy's upstairs watching and he really wants to know um, it's coming from Susan who's also upstairs but he says Johan wants to know he lived in uh, Carlstad playing for my hometown team FBK during the lockdown or lockout what do you remember from that season how did you enjoy your time in Sweden he's got the Swedish accent the whole thing that's his hometown he didn't know that you were I live with the guy he didn't know that I that you were coming on my podcast today and it's like 10 minutes before my podcast he's like Sheldon Surrey is one of my most all-time favorite players in his Swedish accent and he's like he played in my hometown he's like you don't even understand. I'm like what do you mean? It's I've known this for like a week. Where the hell have you been? And he's like going on. I'm like, I got to go. I got to go do the podcast. So he really wants to know what you thought of his hometown. Dude, I remember um, every Swedish person is good looking. Men, women, children, grandparents. It's like everybody's good looking over there. It's crazy. Maybe that's uh, why you moved to Canada then. That's why he moved here? Yeah, to get away because he doesn't fit in that Dude. Oh, sorry, Johan. I'm just kidding. He's just a, a, a Canadian with the old uh, broken nose. Yeah, no, I get that. Um, that's why I had to go to Sweden, too. <laughs> My eyes just don't fit in here. But we had bright purple jerseys. We made the finals that year. I played with Chara. Nice. And uh, our coach just said, one of you guys on the ice all the time. So I remember I played a lot of hockey that year. And... Um, <laughs> I loved it. I, I I never, dude. I'm from Fishing Lake, Alberta. So to go to Sweden and play hockey was it was never on my radar. But man, what a um, what an experience going over there and getting out of my comfort zone. You know, uh, I don't know, man. What do I remember? I remember it was awesome. I remember <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> yeah. I had, yeah, I had, I had to ask you that. Um, you know, I just, you know, I want to say again, thanks for your time. I, I don't know how much longer I can keep you in that, but um, man, thank you so much for for sharing your story and and thank you uh, for all your kind words at the beginning. I, I never said thank you, but I was thinking it, and you know, I've been told that I need to because I don't. Man, when people say stuff like that to me, I, I still I, I don't really take it in, you know, like I kind of just brush it off and I've been directed to be like, hey, you know, say thank you. Like someone's giving you a comment, say thank you, because it's not that I'm not thankful of the comment. It's still that I have trouble hearing that kind of stuff, even, you know, mm -hmm. at 17 months clean and like every day, man, at 17 months clean is still honestly a struggle, not in the same way that it was. It's not like I'm waking up going, oh man, I, I want to go and I want to use. And it's not even like that. I don't even think about mm -hmm. using drugs, but the reality mm -hmm. of 
trying to rebuild my life and navigating through life, just everyday life, man, it takes a toll and it's so hard. And I think that is the most important thing that I tell people is like, if you think you're going to get clean or sober and your life is just going to miraculously get better and it's all, you know, rainbows, that's never going to happen. But I can guarantee you that it's, it gets better than it was when you're in your addiction. But like, what do you, how is it for you now at almost three years clean? It's the last question I'm going to leave you with. Um, it's, it's, it's great, bro. I mean, it's, it's look, and, um, I, I really liked what you said at the beginning of it, you know, your identity, probably you think of yourself like, like, and I'm, I, I shouldn't project on you. Other, other guys who are in a similar, uh, profession as me, um, or maybe the same have had the same struggles as me you know we uh there, there's there's what people or sort the public sees they see you're brady you're a hockey player that's that's where yeah. we've that's the that's the mold we put you in and i'm sure yourself that's been your identity for a long time you're, you're not you know brady liebold the uh you know the, the car salesman you're not the construction guy you're like i have been both I have been though. <laughs> so bad. I love it. Ever, it's like I knew that if I didn't play hockey, I was going to either sell cars, be a truck driver, be a cop. There was like, uh, that's, you know, that's what I was going to do. But, but I know um, what you mean, man. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just had to throw that in there because I've tried everything. <laughs> yes, you're right. Bro, your story's, your story's crazy. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. But um, no, man, you know, I, people – it's hard to separate the people that they think and the public wants and the perception from the human being that you are like at the end of the day, man, we're, we're all just, it's like, it's such a level playing field of humanity and it's not to get too deep or philosophical. It's just, uh, you know, I had to get out of that thing of being a hockey player and, and bring myself back down to like, Hey man, I'm a human being. I'm allowed to, to feel sad. Uh, I'm allowed to feel let down or disappointed. I, you know, man, I wish I was a better dad. You know, mm -hmm. when I got sober, it's not like, oh, you just, my kids come flying back and they, I'm the world's greatest dad. Like, man, you know, I think I'm a good provider, but I'm probably not the best dad, you know? So there's these things that you were just saying in life. It's not like, oh man, I haven't had a beer in, you know, two weeks. Everything should be good. Why is my wife not coming back to me and telling me how proud she is of me. I haven't had a beer in two weeks. Yeah. Meanwhile, you've caused all sorts of wreckage for, you know, years or, or whatever we expect. Uh, sometimes we expect to be applauded for these things that we burned yeah. down. Um, but, but, but I guess what I was saying, I lost my track of thought, but what I was going to say there is the the human being side of things, you know, from where you came from and from where I came from, there's a lot to be proud of in there. You know, there's a lot to be proud in like where we sit. Yeah. Maybe it's not like you don't have the job of your dreams yet or the relationship of your dreams yet, or, you know, uh, you, uh, I heard you say something about going to see your parents and I'm sure that relationship's getting better, but maybe it's not where you want it to be. It's life. But what I do know, the one thing that I do know from my own experience is everything in my life, has gotten better. Yeah. There's nothing that I say, man, I got sober and this got worse. <laughs>
nothing. There's like literally nothing in my life where I'm like, man, it's, it's, this got so bad since I got sober, you know, like everything <laughs> um, got better. Everything got better. And, um, and man, that's a, that's just, how, how could that not be reason to tell people that I'm proud of my sobriety because your life can get better too. And dude, to hear you and a needle in your arm and jail and all the wild shit you've gone through to be sitting on here telling your story to a fellow addict like me or Terry Ryan, I feel like if I can do it, anybody can do it. Like anybody can do it. And I tell my friend Brent Myers that all the time, who, who I know, you know, and yeah. you know, I grew up with him and he was, he, he wrote a book on how crazy his life was. Right. And when I first got sober and it, it wasn't a, it wasn't um, an insult to him, but I was thinking like, if that guy can get sober, then I can get sober. You know, that guy's life was so crazy. <laughs> right. Exactly. There it is. Grant Myers, painkiller, go get it. Amazon bestseller. <laughs> um, but, but that's, but literally that's the truth, man. Like if I can do it, it's, it's not like if I can play in the NHL, anyone can do it. Well, I'm six four two thirty. I mean, not everyone is six four two thirty. So I have an advantage there, right? Uh, physically. But if my life was so bad, dude, and, and I hear your story and I hear my buddy France and the many friends that I had in AA that their life was so damaged and they just were like, how will this ever, how will I get out of this? Here we are. We're talking about this, trying to, you know, having Dean Schmill give us a, a compliment on like, you know, my dad being proud of me. I mean, that's like, anybody can do it. And that's the beauty in this. Anybody can do this if they want. You have to want it. You have to want to quit. It's not like, I want to win the lottery. And you know, win the Powerball of a hundred million. Yeah, I, I really do. But the chances are, I'm not going. To, but if you really want to get sober and quit drinking, there's a saying. This old guy who's an AA, who I love, he says, "You don't have to drink or use drugs today if you don't want to." To me, that's the most prolific statement yeah. in all my sobriety. And um, and I would just share that with people who might be listening, or whatever. If you want to get sober. You can do it. It's a day at a time. Your day stacks into months. Your months stack into a year. Pretty soon you're at 17 months and your 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 world is getting bigger. And uh and it's just you know, it's it's an open ended race, you know. O open ended uh marathon. It's not a race. It's a it's a nice it's a nice job. And you're you know, the the addiction is the race, right? It that I, I tell people and you know, just and I'm sure it's the same for you. You talk about the anxiety of, you know, going somewhere and, and having, you know, a mass quantity, but still being, you know, scared that it's not enough. Man, I wouldn't even leave my general area for like three years because there was only a couple of people that had, you know, at the time, which was fentanyl, which is prominent now, but I that was the only thing that would make me unsick. So I wouldn't even leave this area, man. I would be so anxious and that you know, to me 
Like you want to talk about a full-time job, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, Amen. that's a full-time job. And nothing, nothing is worse than that. And the, the thing that I like, you know, what you said, I, I love what the guy in AA told you. Um, but wow, like now I'm, I'm forgetting my train of thought. I've had way too many concussions too myself. I don't know if I've had concussions, but like oh, I'll yeah. be in the middle of it and I'll be like, what the hell am I doing right now? I don't think all the drug abuse helped either. Um, <laughs> but you, had, you said something so profound to me earlier and, and now I'm, I'm running a blank and now when we're done, I'll have to go back and listen to it and I'll, I'll message you and be like, that's what it was. But um, you, you said you had a couple maybe possible questions for me. I know my dad's watching. He's saying, great discussion, boys. And that my dad's a, a scout for the Saskatoon Blades and a retired firefighter, Sheldon, and like very well respected in both communities. And so when I got sentenced to jail for the first time, and it was front page Vancouver newspaper, both of them, the main paper, which I'm happy to announce that the guy who wrote that story reached out to me and he's going to do a follow-up piece, which is great. It's a little redemption. I'm excited. <laughs> but, but, you know, for that, and then have to, you know, go to the rink and, and deal with people. And you mentioned, you know, the relationship with my parents. They're not where that where I wish they were, uh, but they're, they are getting better. And that's just another gift. But you said you may possibly have a couple of questions for me. I mean, fire away, buddy. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome that your dad's on there. Um, what a gift! If you know, again, that who I thought were going to be my harshest critics were the guys, you know, who, who really just threw their arms around me and and gave me some love when it was like I, I just felt so unlovable. Like I just felt like I let everybody down. You know, your dad's a prominent guy in the community and he's an upstanding citizen and he's you know a servant of the of humanity and and here we are burning things down and and um but they're the first guys i'll tell you that um give you a pat on the butt too to tell you hey i'm proud of you and yeah. uh he has a lot to be proud of um i was gonna ask you so so my story doesn't go to jail and, and that's purely because you know i got pulled over one time and i was uh i was on a bunch of pills and I was looking at my phone and I, I ran over a construction cone. And by the time I got into town, there were a, a couple of cops that pulled me over and I seen them light me up in the back. And uh, it was in the morning and they're coming to, to my car and I spilt this hot coffee on my lap. And they came and like, hey man, what's, you know, you ran over a couple of construction cones back there. What's, oh man, I, you know, I spilt this coffee and, whatever and they ran my plates and they came back and i'm like uh you know i had pills in my console right because i couldn't leave home without them yeah god forbid so you know i got held up somewhere and i didn't have you know uh a fix and um man they let me off and that was that was towards the end of my addiction that was toward the end of my my road in uh, in using because i'm like wow this is really this is not who i am and i could see that through my addiction that well i'm really becoming someone who who i'm not and uh it's pretty sad what i was going to ask you is so your story revolves a little jail time and i heard you say earlier that you went to jail for a couple of years and then you came out and started using so when you're in jail what's your what's your thought around do you think it was just bum luck or were you like no i mean i i knew like 
Man, I could have went to jail for a lot longer that first time. It was the first time my first offense. They they were talking like four or five years, and they you know cut it down to two. And um, you know probably because I was a hockey player, and you know came up in court and all this stuff. And my my dad and my parents were there, kind of supporting me. They reluctantly, but they were there. Um, but you know the time in jail. You know I had different time periods where, you know it was oh it's hard because you start to meet people that have. You know, that's all they know, a lot of them, right? Like, I'm not from that world, let's say. I'm, a, you know, come from this hockey background that's in this addiction, and that's the only reason why I'm in there. A lot of these guys, they've been through the youth system. They can't read. They can't write. It's really sad. I, You know, I actually helped, like, four or five guys graduate while I was in there, so I did some good while I was in there. But I was also, you know, making new friends to go do this next scheme or do this or this connection. You know, but I think – the majority of my thought process was, you know, I'm not ever coming back here. Like, you know, um, there's no way. And as soon as I walked out that jail the first time after, you know, almost two years, like just short of two years, like maybe three weeks short of two years. And, um, I knew I was like, wow, like I'm beat here. Like I can feel it calling like it's pulled like i'm there's no to me in my mind i was like well i'm beat like and all of a sudden like all of a sudden i'm like whoa i'm downtown hastings again and there's like a needle in my hand and i'm like the hell's going on right now and it's like you know you should just not do this just get rid of it and it's like i'll do it one time no worries one time i got this and then all of a sudden it's like boom you know years later another year jail sentence and everything else and um yeah man but the, the time, you know, while I was in there at different times, you know, you're, you're flooded with emotions and, and, you know, you want to get better, but then it's like, can I get better? You know, I failed and maybe this is the way that I'm supposed to be. This is all I deserve. So I'm going to go in it head on and, and just, this is my new identity, right? I went from the hockey player to the jail guy, to the drug dealer, to the drug debt collector, to the, you know, all of it, man. I did it all. Like every possible thing you can try to do to maintain an addiction, pretty much. I did it right. Uh, robberies, everything. I was, um, I was, there was like pretty much very little off, off limits. Like old people were off limits. Women were off limits. Like I did have those morals, but other than that, Sheldon, I did everything. And so when I came out of jail after those two years and got sucked back down there right away, that was a pretty big wake up call to say, wow, like you just had pretty much two years off of, you know, clear thinking um, while you were in there. And then all of a sudden you come out and it's like it got worse than it was. So that was pretty scary, man. And that, exactly. that, moment, yep. that moment I was like, yeah, I'm never getting out of this life. There's no way. Like I'm either going to overdose and die or I'm going to be in jail in and out of jail for the rest of my life. And that is, those are my only options right now. And somehow I've been able to, um, you know, get out of it. And, you know, I was lucky to get out on bail out here and, um, you know, I was still up on some charges. Like even when I first started this podcast, I was up on some pretty heavy charges for trafficking and do through doing my podcast and the things that I was doing, the crown council actually withdrew all those charges, which could have put me away for anywhere from four to seven years. They're like, well, there's no, look what you're doing. And that's not why I started doing this. It was because I just wanted not, I didn't want to do that life anymore. Like I was done. 
So I'm very lucky. And then, you know, and the same thing happened out in BC because when I left and came here, same thing. I walked away from some minor charges, but my even my parents were like, if you don't leave, you're going to die. Like you got to go to Ontario. And so they've, they've withdrawn those charges as well. And so like, I'm very lucky because, you know, I could have still been looking at jail time, but because I was able to turn my life around and start to put it into a positive, they, they've actually given me a little bit of a grace and, for that, I don't know why. I mean, I'm sure there's other people that do this and, and don't get that break. So it's another thing that I feel very lucky. And it's like, I can't let, I can't let myself down, but I can't let the people who have, you know, gone out of a limb to yeah. give me a get out of jail free car. I can't let my family yeah. down. I have this account of this newfound accountability, you know? Yeah, exactly. Oh man, that's, that's powerful stuff, dude. I mean, I look at you and I heard your story and I, I man, Again, I didn't I didn't know much of you, but um, here you are. You're a smart, smart kid. You got your whole life ahead of you. You're helping people. Um, whatever it doesn't matter why they withdrew the charges. What matters is what you're doing, and, and you're you're you know you're being of service yeah. to to other people in our community of addiction, and um, and that's the greatest thing you could get back because. You're not getting paid for this stuff, you know. No, I, I know no, you're not getting money for this. This is because you're, you're, you're trying to give back. You weren't getting paid in jail to help kids graduate. It's because you have a moral compass that that you found again. And the same with me. I felt like my morals were, you know, my integrity, all these things that I that were important to me growing up. It just got lost in addiction, and it, they just you just have to find them again. And um, the highest. To me, the highest um, compliment I can give you is you're you're walking the walk, you're doing this. There's no shortcuts. My buddy says shortcuts are the fastest way to the back of the line. And um, <laughs> I love that. That's great. And you're that's right. And, and and you're walking this, and you're helping other people. You've helped me in this journey. You know what I mean? You're you're helping me just by giving me this platform to to know about you a little more and and to share and to know I'm not alone in this. In order yeah. to see people throw a text on there and, and say, hey, you know, what do I do if I'm embarrassed? Just say you need help. It's it's really, it seems like, you know, it seems like it's so easy to do. And yet I know how hard that can be. And uh, I know you do too. And man, it's, uh, you're crushing it. I'm glad your dad's around to give you a, you know, you're going to see your parents and your life's getting bigger and better. And I know from my own experience that you, it just keeps getting better. If I just do this one simple thing, I just have to do one simple thing, and that's not use and not drink. Yeah. If I do that one very simple thing, these other hundred things get better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, and, and I'm and I'm not a I'm not a math major, but I kind of <laughs> like that. I kind of like those odds. You know what I mean? No, no kidding, man. Well, listen. I, I really appreciate your time. And just the last thing before you go, Lindsay Schmidt, who is the, the sister of the late Daniel Miner, says, thank you for sharing, Sheldon. People need to see that is that it is it is okay to ask for help and that they will not be judged for doing so. Brady, this episode yeah. is close to home. That's for sure. Thank you, Lindsay. I know uh, Daniel's wife, Haley, uh, also watching, throwing out some hearts, always thinking of you guys. Um, and the last one, we have a Dave Ryan that says, thank you for your honesty, Sheldon. I'm in recovery and I'm sure you know 
One of the most important things you need to do in order to get clean and stay clean is be honest with mm. yourself. I always liked and respected you as a hockey player, but now I have another level of respect for you as a person. Congratulations on your recovery. Now get another day. I love it. Wah, 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 wah. That's it, right? That's it. I love, I got that horn, man. That's my Tim. That's my Tim and Sid horn. It's my Tim and Sid horn. That's what uh, they got me through jail, man. That that sports show. They got me through jail and inspired me to start this. And I got Tim McAuliffe coming on my podcast soon, which is going to be very cool for me. So, anyways, man, listen. I appreciate you, and uh, I'm, I'm super happy that we connected. And it honestly made just know that it made my like whole day, week, month. When that message came in, I was like, "What?" I'm like, "This has got to be another Sheldon Surrey." Like, the, you know, I'm like, "Nope, that's that's the guy." So no. just you know, I you know, you didn't have to reach out, and I appreciate you doing that, and. You know, I'm just grateful that Terry had me on his podcast so that we were able to connect. And I've gotten quite a bit of great feedback from that. But, man, I'll just you'll never know how much that meant to me and still does. And you taking the time out of your, you know, summer vacation to do this. um, It means the absolute most to me, man. So thank you so much. And if there's anything I can ever do to, you know, be there for you or if you ever want to chat, by all means, anytime, man. And I hope that we can do this again sometime in the future. 100% 100% exact same for you dude um much love much respect bro keep it keep it going uh powerful message you're carrying thanks buddy take care of the family and uh all those uh wild hockey players up there <laughs> they'll take care of themselves <laughs> yeah i'm sure they will okay buddy thanks again thanks brady awesome that's sheldon surrey Retired NHL defenseman. What an awesome dude. Guy's a great, great guy. And, you know, as as often happens on these podcasts, I always have so many questions that I'm thinking about asking, and I write them down. I have all these papers and notes and stuff, and now I'm looking at them like, man, I should have asked that. But hopefully we can do it again uh, in the future. And, you know, just what an honor to have him on and, and to come share his story and, I hope you guys all enjoyed that as much as I did because that was that was awesome. That was exactly what I needed on this Sunday night. Um, Will McIntyre, been a powerful one, Brady. You're absolutely right. Cassandra and Curry, Troy and Lando, the Curry family, such a great podcast. Thank you both for sharing. David Carlson, I think my longest time listening to i think he's like my longest listener i think maybe even more than my dad because my dad was like maybe wait a bit to start a podcast i'm not even sure if you listened to it at the beginning or if you thought it was gonna fall on my face again but i didn't and i won't david thank you for your support man i so 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 appreciate it gonna get to one sponsor we'll come back we'll wrap this up i'm going to morseburg i'm going to morseburg ontario i'm going to see one of the true reps. I'm going to see Joe at B-Sharp Ottawa. And I get to see my best friend, Matt Thompson, at the One Stop Skate Shop, which is now carrying puck support apparel. The very first store to carry puck support apparel, the One Stop Skate Shop in Morrisburg, which I helped open. It's pretty amazing to see puck support 
actually in a store, even though it's like my best friend's store. We have goals. We're going to hopefully be in many stores in the near future, but very cool. I can't wait to get down there and see Matt. We'll come back and wrap this up after a quick word from a sponsor. Pocket of Hell and Back is brought to you by Performance Wellness. The collaboration between First Star Therapy and MindFrame brings a flexible, holistic program to athletes. The goal is to empower and enhance every athlete's well-being on and off the field of play through focus on intentful movement and mindful practices. You can contact them at consult at firststartherapy.com and team at mindframe.info. Plus, you can check them out on the web at firststartherapy.com and follow First Star on Instagram at firststar.therapy and at mindframe on Twitter plus mindframefit on Instagram. Make sure you check them out. James and Matthew Arnani are actually going to be coming up to Muskoka to be running a free session uh, around MindFrame about intentional movement, uh, physical, mental, the whole package. If you're in the Muskoka area and you're an athlete or a coach or a parent of an athlete, you're invited to partake. If you want to come up from the city, you can do that too. Stay tuned for details on that. I can't wait for them to come up and do that. Anyways, once again, Sheldon Surrey, unbelievable episode. What an awesome guy. What an awesome guy. My man, Blair Buckman, he's watching. Finally got to listen to an entire podcast. It was a great one. What's up, Blair, Mandy, Alex, Carter, the Buckman family. I'm coming up to North Bay. I'll be in North Bay August 3rd to 6th. Also, if anyone's in North Bay and they want to connect for a coffee or whatever, um, reach out to me. I can't wait to get up to North Bay. I love North Bay. Made great connections there last summer, staying at the Buckman household. They took me in. I had no teeth. Man, I look at pictures of me like a year ago. It was not a pretty sight. So Blair, Mandy, Alex, Carter, thank you. I love you guys like family. When you guys took me in, it was a bond for life, and I absolutely love you guys. Anyways, that's it. I'm going to shut up. I got a big episode Wednesday night. Ryan Johansson, currently of the Nashville Predators, but he's been left unprotected, making news. And I'm hoping, I haven't talked to him since that came out. I'm hoping that he's still going to want to come on the show. But if he doesn't at this time, I completely understand. He is from where I'm from. And if he ended up in Seattle, my take on it is, hey, he's close to home. However, he's been a long, long time Nashville Predator. And uh, I'm sure he's got some, some things on his mind. So I'm hoping that Ryan and I can connect Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, same bat time, same bat channel. I'm taking off to Morrisburg. I hope to be able to connect with you guys some. Michelle, I know you saw it. I got your pride tape packed and ready to go. I forgot to throw it in one of Max's boxes. It was going to be in the next one, but now I'm coming up there. So don't worry, I got you covered. Um, that's pretty much it. My gloves are, are on the ground. I was going to show them again. But thank you again to True Hockey. Thank you again to Team Issued. 
Thank you to Sheldon Surrey. Thank you to all of you guys who watched or listened. If you're watching on Facebook, please take the time to go to our YouTube channel. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're watching on YouTube, press subscribe. Press that like button. That's really, I think, how YouTube grows. If I'm wrong, somebody correct me. Share it with your friends. If you're listening to it on audio, please subscribe. Please take the time to rate and review. Give me a one star. Give me a five. Whatever you think I deserve. Constructive criticism is something that I can actually take these days. I know this has a long ways to go, but I love doing it. I hope you guys uh, enjoy the show. And I'm, you know, the the guests have been great. I've lucked out. I've so lucked out and I'm so eternally grateful to all of them uh, over this past 17 months. It's been wild, beyond my wildest dreams. If you're struggling, don't give up on yourself. If you have a loved one, don't give up on them. If it's you who's struggling, you heard it from me, you heard it from Sheldon, you have to do it for you. You have to be willing to put in the work. Just like he said, if you want to be a pro hockey player, NHL player, how much time does it take from the time you're five to you're ready to turn pro, all the skating and the hours of stick handling? If you're an addiction or anything like that, it's pretty much the same thing. You have to work your ass off to get your life back. It's not easy. But it is possible. If I can do it, you can do it. Don't give up on yourselves. Be kind to everybody. Stay grateful. Come see us at the One Stop Skate Shop. Going to be open on a special Monday. Tomorrow, they're not open. Usually on Mondays, but they're going to open for a couple hours because I'm coming to town. Mostly, we're just going to be hanging out there. Me, Matt, Jaden, Sam, come see us. Anyways, guys, like I said, be grateful. Be kind to everybody. Don't pick on people, own your shit, and have a great day, if you so choose. Pocket to Hell and Back is brought to you by Pride Tape. Pride Tape is a badge of support from teammates, coaches, parents, and pros to young LGBTQ players. It shows every player that they belong playing the sport they love and that we're all on the same team. Show your support for teammates, coaches, and fans in the LGBTQ community by wrapping your stick with Pride Tape. Every roll of tape will make an impact in sports and beyond. Inclusion starts with leadership. Check out some of the ideas of how you can get involved at youcanplayproject.org. Check out Pride Tape at pridetape.com. For more information, you can send an email to aubrey at pridetape.com. That's A-U-B-R-E-E, Aubrey, at PrideTape.com. You can find PrideTape on Facebook.com slash PrideTape, on Twitter at PrideTape, and at PrideTape on Instagram. PrideTape thanks all of you for being champions for change. I want the real stuff, everybody listen up Cause I'll only say it once, I'ma show you all the path If you want it bad, I'ma show you where it's at Yeah, how you can get it back, yeah, cause I ain't never done I'll be number one, working mellow hard until I get just what I want Yeah, rise just like the sun, yeah, fatal like a gun Shooter's gonna shoot and I'm gonna shoot until I 
fun, yeah, let's do it alone, so I gotta get through it, and the only thing I know is to love what I'm doing, never give up, never slow, till I finally prove it, never listen to the no's, I just wanna keep moving, yeah, I put out all the art, it's my only medicine, yeah, everything I do, I'm just being genuine, yeah, I'm sick of being screwed, feel my own adrenaline, yeah, I do just what I do, and I hope you let me in, let me in, yeah. I'm grateful, oh yeah, able, oh yeah, I'm stable, oh yeah, no label.